Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Well, I am excited for what God has for us this morning. Uh, we're continuing on in our journey through the Gospel of Luke. We're at chapter 11 this morning. I would just invite you as we uh, approach His Word that uh, you would just uh, bow your hearts with me in prayer. Father God, we come before you, the, the living Word, Lord, that you uh, live and move in your Word and in our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that brings it to life, that gives us application and makes it relevant. I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you would meet each one of us individually where we are. And as a body, Lord, I pray you would move on us, that we would become your children in this world just a witness of your great grace and beauty and love in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, Luke chapter 11, uh, special chapter. Uh, get, get ready. Uh, we're going deep, okay? <laughs> Verse 1, now it came to pass as he, this is speaking of Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. We're going to learn about prayer this morning. Lord, teach us to pray. Interesting, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Teach us to teach. Teach us to heal. Teach us to cast out demons. Teach us to work miracles. Teach us to speak in tongues. That's not what they asked. Teach us to pray. Now, in this, it's, it's so beautiful. You know, Luke has done a very good job of recording uh, the life of Jesus. And we've seen already multiple places where Jesus prayed. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, we read, So he himself, Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. It was part of what he did. It was his lifestyle to get alone and talk to the Father. In Luke 9, 16, we saw that as he's surrounded by 5,000 men plus women and children and his disciples and all of that, that he took five loaves and two fish and looking to heaven, he lifted them up. He blessed and he broke them. He prayed for that meal, for that 5,000. Alone, in the midst of people, mealtime. In Luke 9, 28, we just read this recently, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And if you remember, this is the mountain of transfiguration where Peter, John, and James witnessed Jesus in His glory, speaking with Elijah and Moses. And Peter wanted to make tents. Let's all just hang out here forever. 
God had to interrupt Peter. This is my beloved son. <laughs> Listen to him. Zip it, Pete. <laughs> Prayer. In Luke chapter 10, uh, just behind us a little bit, after he sent the 70 out, they came back just rejoicing. The demons are subject to us. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed right in your sight. Just rejoicing in the Spirit according to the will of God as you see fit. And in so many other places, we're not done. Luke's going to show us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Come aside, pray with me for just an hour. Lord, if there's any other way this cup could pass for me, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He prayed and he sweat, as it were, drops of blood, intense prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. It says here, as John also taught his disciples. It was a custom in those days that rabbis would have disciples attached to them. And as the teachers, they would teach them all the necessary things to be a follower of whichever rabbi it might have been. And part of that was teaching to pray. And truly, prayer is something that ought to be taught. <laughs> That's what we're doing right now. <laughs> we're teaching about prayer, how to pray, why to pray, where to pray, when to pray, who to pray to, what to pray for. There's a lot we can learn. As parents, it's one of the first things we teach our children, how to pray. And now they want Jesus to teach them to pray. And it's interesting, and I just said how, but it doesn't say, teach us how to pray, does it? If you look in your Bible, it just says, teach us to pray. Okay, <clears throat> praying, 101. Pray. There, I just taught you to pray. That's it. That's the whole lesson. Do it. And yet, it's more than saying it or describing it. It's living it. You know, if we wanted to have a class on prayer, we could have a class on prayer. In fact, we do have a class on prayer. Maybe you don't know that, but every Wednesday night at 5.30, we have a class on prayer in this church. Did you know that? And we gather for an hour. And you know what we do in our class on prayer? We pray. We pray. And others praying with us, we learn from one another. God puts different things on different people's hearts. And we grow in prayer just from being around, praying people. Clearly, we've seen Jesus often prays. And you know, prayer in so many ways is not just taught, but it's caught. The more you're around praying people, the more inclined you will be to pray. Some of you might go out to lunch after the service this morning depending on what company you're in or what your habit is, you might find yourself praying over the meal. Have you ever been in a place where somebody, you, you know, I don't know, when you're young, it's like these people always pray. I know when I go to their house, we're just going to pray. 
you know, and, and it's kind of our custom. Cheryl and I, when we gather to pray, we hold hands. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm comfortable with it, but a lot of people, you put your hand out and they're like, what's that? <laughs> oh, we're going to pray. I'm ready. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And prayer sometimes can be uncomfortable for people. Some people don't know how to pray, or maybe they've been around various types of prayers, maybe various groups and the way they pray, right? Jesus teaches to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. Or should we pray like the Lutherans, or maybe pray like the Methodists, or you want to pray like the Assemblies of God, or should we pray like, you can fill in the, the blank, but it's really not how to pray, is it? <laughs> the point is, Lutheran, Methodist, Assemblies of God, Calvary Chapel, pray. 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 Proper, purposeful, persistent prayer. It's taught as much as it's caught. You know, in Matthew, and you can find this teaching on prayer in Matthew as well, in Matthew chapter 6. But prior to the model prayer, the pattern for prayer that we're going to study this morning, it's recorded there in Matthew as all, Jesus has some suggestions, some guidelines, okay, as to how to pray. He says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, and when you pray, it's not if, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Wow. Did you see them pray? Did you hear them? Flawless Elizabethan King James English. They've got their reward. Verse 6, but you, <laughs> finger at us, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, that, oh, um, I don't know how they twist themselves up in a pretzel, and, you know. <laughs> do not use vain reputations as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. It's interesting, we're going to go through this passage here in Luke chapter 11, what has been nicknamed the Lord's Prayer. Many of us have learned it growing up in the various denominations, and there's variations on uh, <laughs> forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, and sometimes you get tripped up when you walk into a different group. But know this, He didn't say to teach us a prayer, He taught us to pray. And this is a pattern 
for prayer. In this manner, he would say to pray. If you really want to know where the Lord's prayer is, you're going to have to go to John chapter 17. And there we see Jesus in the upper room praying for his disciples and praying for his church, praying for us. And a chapter is dedicated to Jesus, our Lord, praying. That's his prayer for all of us. Here, this is more the disciples' prayer, the pattern prayer, if you would. And it's interesting, uh, not many words and not vain reputations. I'm teaching out of the New King James, and in the New King James, this whole prayer is 59 words. If you were to go to the King James, it would be 68 words. Interesting, the NIV has eliminated a lot of pieces of it, and it's 34 words. Going to the Greek original source, it's 60, so let's settle on 60, and you can, you can take what you want from there, but 60 words. I think you could Twitter that. I'm not a Twitter person, but I think it's enough characters, right? It'll fit. It's brief. It's simple. It's to the point. You know, Jesus teaches us, your father already knows what you need. One of the most amazing things about prayer and teach us to pray is our prayer is actually just a response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Say it out loud. Pray it so that God, when He answers, gets the glory. How often, I, I was talking uh, with Tony and uh, just this week about, we, it was funny, we were talking about something one morning, and it had to do with, you know, job opportunity, and bam, he says, can we pray for it? Bam, we did, and then bam, I get a phone call later, I got it, I got, yeah, well, we prayed for it, yeah, but he answered it, yeah, like right now, who gets the glory? Well, we prayed for it, God gets the glory. Often, if we neglect to pray for things, we don't really get to see God at work in our life, and then we wonder, like, I wonder why all these other people have these Jesus stories and I don't have any. Maybe you're not praying. Just something to think about. So, 59 words. You're familiar with them, I'm sure. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen? Amen. You know the amen that we always put at the end of a prayer? <laughs> it's simply something along the lines in Hebrew of so be it. I ratify that in my heart. Agreed. In the Philippines, we'd say, bitao. <laughs> yep, that's it. I agree. I'm in full agreement here. And that's fundamentally what that is. And often we will say, in Jesus' name, amen. That really supercharges the prayer. He's got to answer those kind. <laughs> what we're acknowledging when we say, in Jesus' name, is according to Jesus' reputation, his character, his authority, his power, who Jesus is and what Jesus' will for our life is. It's very much like saying, not my will, but 
thy will be done. Amen. And now that we've said it, you've set the die, his will is going to be done. And now we have to be prepared to see what that's going to look like. How's it going to flesh out? Well, let's back up for just a minute and look at this. Our Father in heaven. For starters, I want you to notice as you go through here, the pronouns in this are plural. Clearly, our Father is a corporate. He's the Father of all who call upon His name, all the saints. And when we say our Father, we recognize we are part of a family adopted in as king's kids. And we're talking to our Father, your Father, my Father, the body of Christ global, our Father. There's power when you link up with the body of Christ and pray in unity. Our Father, Father here, and many of you have been around the church much long time, will know that this is the word Abba, A-B-B-A, Abba. And it's a Hebrew word which means daddy. It's very intimate. It's very familiar. It's one of the funnest things I enjoyed when we went to Israel. And every now and again, we'd be going someplace, and there'd be a family and their little kid out there, and I hear the kids just going, Abba, 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 Abba. And I'm like, yeah, I know I heard that taught in church when I went to, but here I am in Israel, and this is what the kids call their daddy. Abba, Abba, Abba. And this is actually rather revolutionary, groundbreaking for Jesus to teach that we should approach God on a personal relationship. Our Father in heaven. And I love that. It goes from so intensely intimate to so insanely infinite in heaven. Wow. <laughs> I'm a child of God. I have been born again. Do you understand that when you confess Jesus is your Lord and then you believe that God raised him from the dead, that means you are now heaven bound. You've got your ticket punched. You are already now, as we sit here January 8th, Anno Domini 2023, we're already born again, children of God in heaven. Now, this may not look like heaven to you. And I don't want to get, well, the theologians will come up. But Jesus would even say to the Pharisees when they questioned him, heaven is in your midst if you can handle it. When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, renounced your sin and your nature, your old way, die to yourself and become a child of God, you cross a mark in time from which you will never go back. You are now eternal, forever. And when we pray, our Father in heaven, we are actually bringing heaven to earth. Heaven to our very presence. We're bringing ourselves into the presence of God. Now, you can only do that in the Spirit. Okay? And you say, well, it doesn't look like heaven to me. 
you're using your eyes, your senses, right? Your ears and your <laughs> all, touch and all that kind of stuff. But in the Spirit, when you pray, our Father in heaven, you as a born-again, Spirit-filled child of God are parked at the throne of heaven. That's an amazing place to be. Absolutely amazing. And I love it that this is where it starts because that is where effective prayer starts in recognition of the intense intimacy and amazing infinity of what we are doing when we pray. And it's been said, and I think rightly so, but I don't want to make too much of a deal over this, but prayer is just talking to God. And it is. And for those of us that are learning to pray, teach us to pray, all that means is we are directing our prayer to God. We can talk to one another. We do talk to one another, right? And in that, we usually have a conversation. One person says one thing, the other person listens. Another person says something, the other person listens, right? And that's, that's conversation, that's talking. Prayer is the same thing, but we call it prayer and not just talking because it's not just talking. It's talking to God, and that's different. It's special. It's an amazing privilege. It's such a joy. It should just light us up that I'm talking to God. God's on the phone, you know? My phone rang right now, which I don't have it with me, and God's here. I'm sorry, you guys are going to have to, I got, yeah, God, what's up? Cool. Really? And you'll, hang on, I'm busy. I'm, you know, I've got an audience with the king of the universe. And if we would just start there, you'd be amazed how much the rest of the prayer just flows, right? There's a thing we used to teach when we were, Cheryl and I knew we were young Christians, and we, we taught children's ministry. It's one of the best ways to grow in your walk. I don't care how old you are. You grow when you get around little kids. They grow you in all kinds of ways. But you will grow spiritually. But we used to teach this little acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. And I'm not saying this is something you should or shouldn't do. This is the model, not Acts, but Acts begins with adoration, A, adoration. And you just start your prayer adoring God, magnifying God, just glorifying God in your word and your heart and your mind. And you know what? You could probably spend the next hour just, wow, you are so beautiful. You're so gracious. You're so faithful. You're so kind. You're so merciful. And you could go on and on and on adoring God. In the Acts model comes confession, and we're going to see that in here. See, time for me to get some things off my heart. I got, I, I got some issues that seem to be hindering me from you. Can I tell you about them, God, so we can get those out of the way? And then T, thanksgiving of all the answers to prayer, all the blessings that you're enjoying and then as supplication, oh yeah, that's right, I had this laundry list. I had some stuff I wanted to pray for. It's funny, when you pray in that manner, adoring Him and confessing to Him and giving thanksgiving to Him, by the time you get to the laundry list, you're like, it puts it all in perspective. Now, God wants us to pray. 
for everything, all the details of our life. So you don't have to be worried about your laundry list, but just make sure you put it at the back <laughs> so that when you do talk to God about these things, you recognize your position before Him. You are a sinner who has been forgiven by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you, Abba Father, on the basis of your Son crucified for me. Can you imagine? Imagine if you are a prisoner on death row for doing some heinous crime, and the governor comes to you and says, I'm going to pardon you, but I have to fulfill the penalty first. So my son, my perfect son, did nothing wrong. We're going to take him out and execute him. And as soon as we finish that, you're free to go. And now all you have to do is just anytime you want, just walk up to the governor and say, hey, governor. But how is it that you can do that? Because of what he did for you with his son. And that should change a little bit of your heart when you talk to him and recognize what he's done for you. I mean, a lot of times you'll get vapor locked. You'll stop. That's as far as I can go in my prayers. Just Thanksgiving, confession, and say, I'm done. I don't have much. I ran out of time. I'm just thankful. There's so much to be giving thanks for, so much to be grateful for. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. It means holy, unique, no other of that name, reputation, character, person in all the known universe. Amazing name. We've just been going through Exodus. We started Leviticus this last week. But Moses meeting God on Mount Sinai says, I want to see you. God says, well, you can't see my face and live, but I'll put my hand over you. I'll pass by. You'll see the train of my robe. And then I'll declare to you who I am. It says in Exodus 34, verse 5, Now the Lord, and this is the Old Testament, capital L, capital R, capital D, okay? The tetragrammaton, the unpronounceable name of God. Don't really know what His name is as it's recorded here. We don't have the vowels. We can't say it. But He goes on to say, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You want to know my name? I'll tell you my name. And then he begins, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's a name, right? And this is who he is. It's his reputation. He is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, abounding in goodness and truth. And when we talk to God, it's not just like, well, I got a couple of minutes. Let's talk to the man upstairs. Now, I don't mean to pick on people that say that, but I do pray that they do understand the gravity and the glory of prayer. 
Because it's in entering into his presence and, and recognizing who he is. Man, your life just explodes with glory. It's just, it's wonderful. Hallowed be your name. It's interesting, as God gave the children of Israel the Ten Commandments, you remember commandment number three? Anybody? Thou shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Hallowed be thy name. Not just something I just throw about or toss away or use with emptiness and without thinking. Wow. When I approach you, it's just amazing. Now, I said nobody knows how to pronounce that capital L-O-R-D, but we do know the name of God. His name is Jesus. And we can come to him on that personal basis. Lord Jesus, understanding who you are and all that you've done for me and your desire presently to intercede for me, putting these prayers in my heart so I can speak them out loud and then you can bring them to fruition and, and, my, and I can give glory to you. What an amazing opportunity you give me in prayer. If you read Christian biographies and some of the great saints down through the centuries and all the different writings they have in devotions, in theology books, and whoever they might be have denominations named after him and on and on and on, inevitably somewhere in their writings they'll say at the end of it all when I look back down the hallway of my life and I add up all my accomplishments and regrets the one thing if I could change anything I would spend more time in prayer it's the best <laughs> it's just it's wonderful Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He's sovereign. Your will be done. As Jesus would say, not my will, but thy will. On earth as it is in heaven. In this, we see this picture of the paternity. <laughs> we're children of God. Our position, we're, we're his children, forgiven and clean. The place, heaven itself, the priority that his will be done, and the program on earth as it is in heaven, the pattern. Heaven's the pattern. We want what we have to match heaven. How do we know that? We go to the one who ex exists in heaven, lives in heaven, and then he helps us to see these things. And so we get this paternity, this position, this place, a priority, the program, and the pattern, all right there, if you like alliteration. If you don't forget, I said that. <laughs> Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when you pray that prayer, have you ever noticed sometimes it doesn't seem to be answered that this is not heaven? His will, is his will being done on earth? as it is in heaven? You might ask yourself that question that I think it's one of the, the impediments, one of the things that stumbles people in their prayer. 
I pray like they tell me to pray, but I'm not seeing it. Your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, part of the problem that we have, I believe personally, and take it for what it's worth, is that we don't enter infinity, eternity. We have such a short, temporal, physical view of prayer and the world that we live in. We're not seeing eternity and heaven and earth. Indeed, God's will is being done on earth. Anno Domini, 2023. This is the year of the Lord, and you can take it to the bank. His will is being done. And you look at all of the crime and sin and just fallen things that you see in the world, and you go, how can that be? In so many ways, His will is to judge sin. His will is to make an end of our fallen nature that we can live in heaven. But that process, if we look at it in a short term, sometimes we don't see it happening. But we can take it to the bank. He is working. Let me ask you in this room, there's a couple of you, I really don't know your stories yet, but most of you I do, so I think I know most of the answer here. But would you say that prior to coming to know the Lord, the Lord was working in your life and the Lord had a plan for your life and the Lord called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? The the Lord adopted you as his child? And yet if you look at your life, it didn't look like his will. And yet he is. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I love this. In Deuteronomy, we read, um, at, at verse 2, I'll pick up, and, the, and you shall remember, this is, this is God talking to Moses and the children of Israel as they are going through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Hmm. Could it be we're being tested and humbled? To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So, He humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. When we pray, give us day by day our bread, if we're looking in the present, temporal, physical reality, it may not seem like what He's providing is answer to that prayer. But if we look from the spiritual side of things, we recognize that He abundantly rains down on us manna from heaven. And even better, Jesus would say in John chapter 33, 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Give us this day our daily bread. I just need your word made flesh and dwelling amongst us. I just need Jesus. Jesus is enough. And this is the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And truly, it's a prayer. God wants to answer your issues. But it's day by day. It's not like, ah, can you set me up for life, right? I, I want a, um, <laughs> a coupon to get, you know, a free meal every afternoon for 2023. It's not that kind of daily bread. You have to go every single day. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. In all those, so, I mean, what if it's like, give me my monthly ration of bread, let me ask you, if you were to operate on that system, how many times a year would you see God's hand providing for you? Twelve. Once a month. What do you want? You want to see Him daily? You want to walk with Him? You want to know Him every day? Then you're going to have to pray every day and bring your needs before Him so that He can meet you at your need. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I like it how the New King James, here in the Gospel of Luke, breaks out this little piece that much of us have stumbled over. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, or forgive us our debts as those who, who you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I have to remember which church I'm in. <laughs> I grew up in the Methodist tradition, and I don't really remember which one it was because it's been so many years since we did it that way. Um, but I like the prayer of the little girl in Sunday school who says, forgive us our trash as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> and she's theologically dead on. She got it. Forgive us our sins. We need forgiveness. We need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. In 1 John chapter 1, we read um, in verses 8 and 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is say, forgive us, and He will be faithful. He'll do it. Kind of like his J-O-B. Hi, I'm God. Oh, really? What do you do? Well, let's see. I am merciful. I am gracious. I'm abounding in love. I'm a forgiver. It's my job description. Just come to him and ask, and he will forgive. He'll be faithful and just. The wages of sin, remember that sticky point? The wages of sin is death. It's not justice if I just you know, erase the slate. The debt must be paid. I'm faithful. 
I will forgive you. And I'm just. I will die for you. And in fact, he did 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. And so when we ask to be forgiven of our sins, it's done. Forgive us our sins. Forgiven. And really, you've been forgiven of every sin you ever sinned, every trespass, every trash in your basket or somebody else's that you're doing today and that you will do for the rest of your life. Well, then if I've just prayed that prayer, I should be good. I don't have to ask that anymore, right? And yet you recognize that it's in coming before Him and confessing Him, you're recognizing every single day His work on your behalf, that you are now free. You're no longer a slave to sin and death. You're now a child of God. You don't have to have that guilt and that shame that He's forgiven me. It's interesting, there's a caveat in this prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone. I just want us to pause for effect. In the Greek, everyone means everyone. <laughs> this is, I'm going to have to, I need help. This this part, yeah, that's why you're praying, because you do need help with this part. So we pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's interesting, I mentioned Matthew earlier, this uh, teaching of the pattern prayer, the disciples' prayer, the model prayer. And we had some things such as don't be like the hypocrites and don't do vain reputations. Well, as this prayer finishes in Matthew, it reads like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom of power and the glory forever. Amen. But he's not done teaching prayer. It goes on to say in Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Can I get a hallelujah? Ah, that's good news. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you've got a red-letter Bible, I'd have you check out the color of those words. That's Jesus teaching on prayer and forgiveness. Now, I'm not going to get into that into too much detail. We talk about it often, frequently. But it is how we pray. I'm not asking you to do anything for me, God, that I wouldn't do for somebody else. Isn't that fair? Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I recognize there's going to be tests in this life. I'm just asking you that <laughs> where you test me, you will make a way of escape. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He who thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. But for every sin, God has made a way 
of escape. And that's what we're praying when we pray, lead us not in temptation. I need to see the way through this. How am I going to get through this test? How am I going to get through this trial and not fail? But grow and know you better and see you and, and be refined and, and, and change from glory to glory into the image of your Son. Help me, Lord, to succeed these tests, these temptations, and deliver us from the evil one. Great prayer. Because you know there is an enemy of your soul. And the day that you sign up as a child of God, confess Jesus is your Lord, you get a bullseye on your back. And you'll find for the rest of your life, you're going to be hassled <laughs> and tempted and, and find yourself constantly in, put in positions of, of, of where you can fail. So good thing to pray is, Lord, Abba, Daddy, in heaven, help. Protect me from the enemy. We read in Jude, I think it's verse 9, where it says, even Michael, the archangel, when he disputed over the body of Satan, just said, the Lord rebuke you to Satan. We don't need to get busy rebuking Satan. What we really need to do is get busy seeking God's protection and provision in our life, to be in a position where we recognize God's hands got us so tight and we're just wrapped up in that hug so good that He is taking care of that. He's delivering us from the evil one. What The work that He began in you when He delivered you out of your life of sin, He's faithful and He will complete it all the way to the day we look into His eyes. Amen? I'm going to wrap this up in just a minute here. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, this is rather funny. Jesus has a sense of humor, but he's helping to teach us to pray. And what he's helping us to see is that in prayer, we need to persist. We need to be patient. We need to continue on in our prayer. You pray once, you don't get your answer, what do you do? And pray again. And how many times do I have to pray? Seven times? Seventy times? Seven times? You're to pray continually. Jesus, he's in, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to repeat this whole thing in a parable of the persistent widow who goes before a judge, and the judge isn't a God-fearing person, could give a rip about spiritual matters, but this lady just keeps pestering him that she would render judgment in his case, and finally he says, just to get the lady to go away, I'm going to give her what she wants. Now, this isn't to say that God is like that, that we're pestering God. What he's saying is, 
I'm inclined. I, it's my heart. It's my desire to answer your prayers. How much more? <laughs> if you come to me and ask, will I give you what you pray for? Then your neighbor, who's already gone to bed at night, locked the door, kids are in bed. I don't want to get up and help you, but you just, bum, 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 bum. I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. And you pray. This is, this is how we do it, team. Now, again, the disciples didn't come and say, teach us to teach or teach us to preach or teach us to heal or teach us to do miracles or teach us to do all of these things. What they needed to learn was to pray. And part of praying is to pray. Part two. Keep praying. There's your lesson on prayer. Pray and keep praying. It goes on to say in verse 9, so, and if you know your grammar, so is a conjunction. You remember what a conjunction is from your elementary school days? It connects the sentence before to the sentence that is now following it. They go together. And so this is the thought. It's not stopped. We haven't changed gears. It's just elaborating on what was just taught. Keep persistently praying. It says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This is how Jesus says to pray. Persistently. Keep asking. Keep seeking and keep knocking. Uh, for those of you that are like Bible college students or whatever, you might know this one. But this, this, these words, ask, seek, and knock, they're in the present active imperative plural tense. For all the rest of you. But what that means is it is intense, it's present, and it's ongoing, and it's not ceasing. This is what Paul would say, or write, I should say, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it's verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, that can be difficult. Do I pray while I'm asleep? Well, I'm a pastor, so I do, but you know. <laughs> right? Or if I'm driving down the road, should I close my eyes and pray? <laughs> the idea of praying without ceasing is just to always be in communion with God, always seeking God, always desiring God. I know I'm going to date myself, but there, one of my heroes, kind of a weird hero, but it comes from a, a play, a musical that was on Broadway many, many years ago called Fiddler on the Roof. And in that, the title, the, the lead character is the milkman, Tevia. And Tevia is not the sharpest tool in the shed, doesn't have the best of everything going on. If I were a rich man, be -de 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 -de, you know, he would love all that. But Tevia is my hero because he lives in constant communion with God. Oh, why'd you have to make my cow lame? How, why did you have to do these things? But he's always talking to God. 
He's praying without ceasing. And no matter what his circumstances are, and by most everyone in this room, his circumstances are really meager, really poor. I don't think any of us want to change places with him. Except that I kind of do. Because I would love to live every day like Tevia in the presence of God. Never stop praying. Does it get any better than our Father in heaven? And he could own that. Ask. Keep asking. Don't stop asking. Knock. Keep knocking. Seek. Always keep seeking. Never stop seeking. And it will be open to you. A lot of times, I think, <laughs> God just wants to know, are you serious? Is that what you really want? Let's be fair. How many of us have ever prayed stupid prayers? That we're really glad he didn't answer. Sometimes maybe he's like, yeah, I want you to repeat that one for a couple weeks and we'll see how it sounds down the road. And it's kind of like loses its luster. Yeah, I don't think that's really what I wanted. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Sometimes we just prayed <laughs> to move on to where he's leading us in our heart. But it will be open to you. And then he gives these illustrations. For everyone who asks receives. There you go. Ask, you will receive. I will be found by those who seek me. This is the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament. He's the God of Anno Domini 2023. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? Let me ask you, any dads in this room, raise your hand if you're a dad. Okay, and your child comes and says, I need some bread, and how many of you have given your child a rock and said, ha, 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 No, it's as true today as it was when Jesus taught this. It's not how fathers are. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? I have to be careful asking in this room because some of you might have done that. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Practical joke, dad. Ha, ha, ha. No, that's not what you do. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Obviously not. If you then being evil. Now, when it says being evil, evil fundamentally, it also is translated often wicked, but so that you understand, it really boils down to godless. Not thinking, acting, believing God. You in your flesh, in your sin nature, even sinners take care of their kids. Well, many of them. Sadly, some don't. But if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, I didn't know I was asking for the Holy Spirit. I thought I was asking for my daily bread. I was asking to have my sins forgiven. I was asking to... Teach me to pray. I was asking. The answer is God's Holy Spirit. He lives in you. 
He speaks in you. He guides you into all truth. He's your comforter. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I love this. How, will he, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Worship team, you can come on up. I've, I've run myself out of time. My plan this morning was to get to verse 26. You're shocked, right? In 1999, see, that would be 24 years ago, right? In 1999, I went to a youth workers conference, and one of the sessions was on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And there was a pastor from a Calvary Chapel in Southern California. His name was Ricky Ryan. And he taught on the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to get into that more next time we're together. But one of the things that he said, and it just kind of, I'm like, oh, duh. But he said, okay, son asked for bread, you don't give him a stone. Son asked for fish, you don't give him a snake. Son asked for an egg, you don't give him a scorpion. You give him what he asked for. Isn't that the point? Just keep asking, be persistent, and he will give you what you ask for. The question I have is, do you want the Holy Spirit? God dwelling in your heart. Nothing to be afraid of. I mean, this is awesome. Not only do I cry out to Abba, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, enter the presence of heaven, but His Holy Spirit will engulf me, overflow me. Wow! I would love that. And yet, so many people, and we'll get to this next month, Paul in Ephesus says, have you received the Holy Spirit? We've not yet heard there is a Holy Spirit. Just cutting to the chase and I'll build on it. If you ask your father for a good gift, will he give it to you? Yes. Does God's answer always look or feel or seem to be like you pictured it. Is it always like that? Does sometimes God answer and, and truly give you what you asked for, but it doesn't look like what you expected to be? <laughs> I prayed for a wife. Man, God's good. <laughs> he gave me above and beyond what I could ever dream or imagine. Just think if he gave me what I thought I was praying for. How much more his Holy Spirit. If you ask, he will give your Holy Spirit. He will fill you. He will just make your life just so full of joy. I just want to pray with you right now.
if you'd like his Holy Spirit. If you've never prayed for it, if you, and, and again, when you confess Jesus as your Lord, Lord, you're the boss of my life. I surrender my life. It's not me anymore. It's all you. I confess my sin. I repent. I turn to you. Be the Lord of my life. You run the show. And you believe in your heart. God has raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power that raised Jesus from the grave is that same power working in you, the Holy Spirit. When you confess that, all who call upon the name of the Lord are saved and indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. But you may feel sometimes like, I just don't, I just don't know. I don't feel it. And this is what Ricky Ryan explained to me. You don't have to feel it. In fact, more often than not, you're not going to feel it. But you can take it to the bank that God answered and He is dwelling in your heart and wants to work in you and through you that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That He would give you His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ, His daily bread, that He would forgive you all your sins and give you the power to forgive others of their sins. And that He wouldn't lead you into temptation. He would fill you with His Holy Spirit. And He would protect you from the enemy. And all you have to do is receive it. If you'd like to do that, just in the privacy of your own heart, just pray with me. Father God, Abba, I know you love me. And I know everything that you want for me is according to your perfect will. And I know that includes your Holy Spirit dwelling richly in my heart. I ask you, Father, to fill me to overflowing, to continually fill me to overflowing. And I will continually seek you. Ask and seek and knock. And know, Lord Jesus, that you are now at work in my life. And I look forward to seeing the answers to your prayers, my prayers answered for you. For every person in this room, I pray that they would be filled with your presence, with your truth, with your glory, with your beauty, with your hope, with your joy, with your message. That, Lord, we could be not just changed, but change others and help them see the joy, the love, <laughs> the peace, the happiness that we have in you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on this place right now, corporately, as a body, that you would just overflow your church, that we, Lord, would go out into the world and just drench it in love. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website 
at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at The Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.